welcome back to Free Reeling, your movie-watching podcast with your friends Matthew and Jesse. I am Jesse, and with me today is the Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. I am the Matthew, and according to Cher, I am not even interesting enough to make you sick. We are talking about the movie uh, The Witches of Eastwick. Uh, it's a 1987 movie directed by George Millar. Um Written, the novel is by John Updike, but the screenplay is by Michael Christopher. Is that how you say that? Yes. Um, starring Jack Nicholson, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. With uh, great supporting uh, roles by Veronica Cartwright and Richard Jenkins. Yes. And uh, if Veronica Cartwright doesn't pop up to anybody, like, off the dome, she's the mother in Flight of the Navigator? If you've ever seen that movie... She's also what? on The Crewman and Alien, I believe. Oh, is she? Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Well, so, so like, I didn't see Alien until I was in my 20s, but I saw Flight of the Navigator as a kid a lot. For some reason, that movie got a lot of play in my house, probably because of me. Um, and seeing her do this stuff in this movie, wild. <laughs> and just to think, it's just within... Two years of, of doing Flight of the Navigator. I, I'm going to start off my thoughts of the movie with my one criticism. Sure. This movie is an hour and 58 minutes. It could easily be an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, there's some self-indulgentness going on to some of this movie. And it takes a lot of time to set up when it could like be done quick uh, with the setup. However, everything else is pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I, um, so I, I, I found myself ultimately really liking the movie, but then, uh, starting to, starting to think about it, I, I started to see quite a bit of problems, but, like, not anything that, or at least I saw what I perceived to be, like, issues, I don't think it, I don't think any of those made it bad, uh, I do like that this, that I'm pretty sure, uh, George Miller's one and only direction for Jack Nicholson is like be as unhinged as possible, please. Um, something else is really great about this movie, just off the bat, is Jack Nicholson has a a great ponytail through most of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It, I've never known Jack Nicholson to have a full head of hair. I've seen a lot of older Jack Nicholson movies. Yeah, he still doesn't have a full head of hair. No, like I've seen. Um, Gosh, what's it called? Let me look. The, I've seen The Shooting, which came out in 1966. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson does not have a full head of hair in that movie. Yeah. I mean, he I, he doesn't have a full head of hair in Easy Rider, which is 1969. Same with Five, Five Easy Pieces, which is another early one. Uh, so, to, to say that he, he looks pretty identical to most of his roles... But I think this is the first time that I've ever seen his hair, the back part of his hair be so long that they put it in a, a nice ponytail. And, like, he looks cool. Like, they, they got that, they got him looking cool and not, like, just an old man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think Jack Nicholson is one of those people, too, to me, has never looked young. Not to say that he's always looked old and decrepit or anything like that that's not what i'm trying to say but there are those there are those people that for some reason always look older um and when i was getting into soccer i referred to this as like an alan shearer complex alan shearer was a great striker for newcastle united in the uk um 
And even in his, like, 20s, the man could probably have passed for 40. And I kind of think, like, he and Jack Nicholson have that as well. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think that's 100% true. And um, this was a really interesting era in Jack Nicholson because it's, it's uh, two years before Batman. Yes. But it is uh, about four years after Terms of Endearment. Yeah. And also so, five years before, I think it's five years before A Few Good Men, right? Oh, it's more than five years. Uh, I don't remember when A Few Good Men came out. I, I, for some reason, it, no, no, 92. No, 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 92 is right, yeah. Okay. I mean, he, he's in broad, broad, uh, broadcast news after this. Yeah. Um, but before this, he's in a movie called Prizzy's Honor, which seems to be well-received, and then a movie called Heartburn with mm-hmm. Meryl Streep that doesn't seem to be as well-received. Yeah. Prizzy's Honor, I think, was one of the final John Houston flicks. Oh. That makes sense why it was well-received yeah. then. So it's just a really interesting point in his career. And then for Susan Strain and, and Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer, like it's, one, it's before Mich- Michelle Pfeiffer for her most iconic role for me, which is Batman. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know what she did before this. Uh, I think the biggest thing she did before this might have been Scarface. And I... That would make sense. I think that's... Oh, Grease 2. Are we going to call that big, though? Because I don't... It's big in my house. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Because I don't think that that movie did well at all. Was Lady Hawk big? I don't think so. That doesn't sound like No, I don't think so. And then there's Sweet Liberty, which... I also don't know this movie, but it's directed, written, and starring Alan Alda, so, I mean, it can't be that bad. Yeah, I mean... Oh, wait, no, I'm getting him and Alan Arkin mixed up again, because I, my head does that. Uh, Alan Alda is MASH the TV show, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. And for Cher, this is right before Moonstruck. Yeah. So... Which Moonstruck owns? <laughs> I've not seen Moonstruck. I just know it's very good. Oh, we gotta, we gotta watch. We gotta, we gotta watch Moonstruck. That might be. You know what? I'll say that right now. That might be a good Valentine's month. Oh. That might a, a February, February twenty twenty three film for us. And from what I can tell, for Susan Sarandon, this might be her first big role. I mean, she's oh no, not at all, not at all, not at I mean, all. She's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, but, but like I think she almost won an Academy Award for Atlantic City. She was in Rocky Horror Picture Show before this. Oh, I forgot she was in Rocky Horror. Never mind, you're right. Uh, yeah, no, she's she has she had been in some things. Oh, she's like in Tempest with Paul Cassavetes. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, she's yeah. in The Hunger. Mm-hmm. With David okay. Bowie, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a vampire movie. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Sarandon and Nicholson probably have the biggest resumes in terms of in terms of actors in this in this movie probably well also just before we go any further the pedigree behind the camera is, is not nothing to sneeze at either cinematography oh, yeah. by Vilmos Zygmunt which he's kind of a legend he's photographed some of the prettiest films ever uh, we could talk about George Miller oh, yeah, and by George Miller, who before this did, did all one, of the Mad Max franchise. Yeah, the first Mad Max trilogy was done by then. Uh, I believe his segment in Twilight of the movie is like one of the better parts of that movie. Like yeah, and then music by John Williams. John Williams, which like, and 
to be fair, at the end of this, I was like, man, that's a wild Williams score. <laughs> Written by someone who I don't think wrote anything else of note. Who, who John, John Williams? Updike. Not John Updike. I mean, oh, the, John Updike. The, the, the screenplay writer for this one. I was like, man, that's a weird way to be sarcastic about John Williams, Jesse. No, no, I'm just thinking about, like, screenplay. Like, I'm looking at, like, there's Original Sin, which has Antonio Banderas and Angelina Jolie, but that looks like a bad movie. Um, there's Casanova with Heath Ledger, and that looks like a bad movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing anything of, like, real note of, like, big, big movies. So it's kind of interesting that this guy was, like, uh, hit to make a movie. I mean, he wrote a movie with Robert De Niro and uh, Meryl Streep and Harvey Keitel called Falling in Love. Right. But, uh, again, not a movie that rings any bells for either of us. No, it does not. Um, okay. So two different... Uh, he wrote a TV movie of this and a TV pilot for this in two different eras. <laughs> One in wow. 92 and one in 2009. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's, uh, I mean, if he still thinks there's, if he still think there's oil in the barrel, might as well try and go after it, but. He, it looks like he's more of an actor than a screenwriter, which is way more interesting. What, John Updike? No, not John Updike. Sorry. I, I'm talking about the screenplay writer. Uh, oh, Michael Christopher. Michael Christopher? Yeah. He was in Mr. Robot, Ray Donovan, American Horror Story, Rubicon, Lincoln, Gunsmoke. No shit. Kojak. <laughs> That's crazy. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, here we go. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Most, most of those latter-day TV shows I've not seen. But That's fair. Um, we should probably move on, though, because uh, yes. without any air in this room, I'm slowly dying. Yes, well, we don't, want, we don't need Jesse dying. Um, so, to answer your question, I don't know how the hell we talk about this movie. I mean, I think you made a really good point with this one. Is it's a movie I think we both really enjoyed. Yes. But after I don't know about you, but after I finished watching it, I go, "Well, that left next to no impression on me, other than those three women are incredible." Yeah, like I think I think acting all around, like the the four the four main actors do a job. Um, like I think I think I think Nicholson is just perfectly unhinged the entire time he is on screen uh i also think that if there was ever if there was ever a case to be made for share like this is the this is this is like the early one to do it i guess because then she would go on to do amazing work in in moonstruck and and other films um yeah it's where share's career is like super interesting to me in general um not only do most of my friends just not know who Cher is, which I think is super interesting to me yeah. in some ways, but, like, she's a 70s music star. Is, is she is Sonny and Cher 60s, too, or is it just 70s? I believe their big hit, I Got You, Babe, is from the 60s. They ended up being a really popular television show in the 70s. I think that's the timeline. Um, yeah, Sonny and Cher, 65 to 67. Yeah. And then um, basically started on te- then started doing acting on television in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and then her and Sonny divorced in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she's back on it with like new music and doing film. And it's just a fascinating career, right? 
Yeah, she has a she has an interesting arc. Um and it's it's weird how much I've heard well like as a kid in the 80s, I would hear adults around me absolutely dog share for whatever reason. Um I remember one of the things we were wa- I remember one of the times where I was able to watch MTV in the house with my mom around. I remember the music video for Turn Back Time, and my mom made a big deal about Cher having tattoos. And I'm like, I mean, as a kid, I'm like, I don't understand what a tattoo is, other than like I've seen that like my grandfather has one. You don't talk about you don't talk badly about him, um, or and then uh, that just becomes a whole generational thing at that point. Yeah. But I remember never really having, um. A whole lot to say about Cher's music. Like, I, I like Turn Back Time. Every so often it still comes into my head. Uh, but I think she was unfairly maligned by a lot of the heteronormative crowd with Do You Believe in Life After Love? But, you know, Midwest, am I right? Um, Still one of the most iconic dance songs of all time. Oh hell yeah! Oh hell yeah! I'm not. I'm not here. I am not here to. I'm not here to to argue that point at all. There, there's a there's a strong argument to be made. Without that song, there would be no Lady Gaga. Oh for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah. I I, I would argue without share. Well, without probably without Grace Jones, there's no eighty share. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so. Without Grace Jones, there's definitely no Lady Gaga. But back to, like, I would hear every adult in my life just clown on Cher. But they would all go to her movies and watch her movies and eat it up. I'm like, what? And I would go, what is wrong with you people? Like, you, like, I remember my mom, like, did not want to watch Moonstruck because Cher was in it. Then we watched it, and I'm like, this movie's great, and I was, like, ten. I was, like, nine or ten when we, when I watched it, and I'm like, this movie's great. Nicolas Cage has no hand, and, like, she made this man ruin his suit. Good for her! Um, but, like... You know, Moonstruck, Mermaids. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see this at the time. I didn't see. I don't think I. I was telling you when you brought this movie to me that I don't think I'd seen it before, and I still don't think I'd seen it before because none of it rang a bell. Uh, so this is a. We're gonna call this a first time for Matt because Matt's old and his brain might be dying. Um, you, you still need that brain. I do. Big things are coming up for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need brain to raise child. Um, but uh, but yeah, like the people in my the, the adults in my life for not liking Cher, they certainly gave her a lot of money. How much? And, how much was she paid compared to everybody else for this? Oh, no, I I don't know. I'm not talking about that. Oh, like, you mean just people? In just like people, people in my life. They were for not liking Cher. They certainly paid to see her movies. They certainly paid, you know, to they they paid the cable subscription for when she was on TV, and a lot of people got like cable channels so they could watch old reruns of the Sunny and Cher show. That was a thing that happened in in my life in the Midwest, and I never understood how. All of these folks had like bad things to say, but certainly paid a lot of attention. 
Um, but Cher's awesome. Cher rules. I'm, I'm curious. I'm looking at uh, the movie facts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for casting of this. Oh, not only that. Like, this movie cost $22 million to make. Yes. It made $63.8 million, which is... Whew, that's, a, that's a good movie. Yeah. Um, Bill Murray was supposed to play Daryl, which I thought find also super interesting, and I think it would have given it way more of a slapsticky tone than already had. Yeah, it would have it would have been um either too dry or or too too clowny. Um then it looks like uh Cher wanted to play Alexandra, which was already casted as Susan Sarandon, so they eventually gave in and Susan Sarandon found out she was playing uh Jane when she showed up on set. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's very funny. It and it's interesting because I feel like in the movie, those two have the most rivalry, too. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about what the basic plot of the movie is, and then kind of just dig into it from there. Yes. Um, so, three friends, uh, Alexandra, Jane, and Suki, uh, played by Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer, respectively, mm-hmm. um, are living in Rhode Island, and uh, they all kind of are frustrated from dudes and their jobs. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer has six kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on one stormy night, they basically wish for the perfect guy. And they don't know that they're witches. And they summon Daryl, who's played by Jack Nicholson, who is the devil. <laughs> Well, is he the devil? I, I think he's supposed to. Uh, in the book, I think he's more toned to be the devil. Okay. I don't know. I don't think the movie goes that hard just because it's the 80s and society. And I, I this this movie probably doesn't make $63 million at the box office if they do that. But that, that final scene where he kind of turns into a gross manifestation of things, like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Um, I mean, I'd I'd settle for demon. I don't know about devil. Fair. That, fair. that I mean, you, just because I feel like there's way. If you invoke if you invoke the devil, I feel like you almost have to bring a whole bunch of shit with that, which they do not. True. Or or at least this movie does not in any way that uh, gives Nicholson's character Daryl. That kind of gravitas and weight. Um, and then it, and then it becomes uh, Daryl's character just trying to woo all three women at the exact same time. Yep. And they realize the more that they spend time with him and spend time together, and their emotions are kind of out of whack, the more weird stuff happens in town, and including a lady to vomit a ton of cherry pits mm-hmm. and go crazy to her husband murders her. Um, mm-hmm. And cause earthquakes when they have a fight and stuff like that. So they separate and Jack Nicholson tries to win them back. And they're like, you know what? Let's just turn the tables on him because it's his fault. And they basically killed him. (laughs) Yeah. And then they all have his baby. And at the end, he's still alive. And he goes, okay, boys, we got to cook up a new plan. And then stay tuned for Look Who's Talking. (laughs) The children of Eastwick. Um... Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I mean that that that's like the like that's the easy summary of the movie. Yes. I think where the movie 
shines and it spends most of his time is like just the banter between each character. Mm-hmm. Um, the the issue though is like that movie sounds like a short movie and they don't make it a short movie. They, make <laughs> they do it all no, like, they they do not. I I think I feel like there's. I think the setup. I think the setup for Daryl is too long. You think that, it takes too long for him to get to town? I not not just that to them to just see him because like first you see him get to town. You hear about him buying the house. Yeah. Then no one can remember his name, and that's right. like a fifteen minute segment. Right. Um, and then he's at the rehearsal thing where she's playing, and he, the he falls or asleep. Recital, yeah, and falls asleep. And then we finally meet him with Cher on the on the bird watching Mm -hmm. and I think that's like maybe 30 maybe 40 minutes in okay so for some reason I thought all of that was fine um not really for not really for any particular reason it's I think I I think I think it's fine because of the entrance that Daryl makes yeah, he's he doesn't just walk in and be like, "Hey, I bought the Lennox man." Um, it, he, you know, he's at the recital. He's snoring to a point where everybody in the recital hall notices. He's louder than the music. He's louder than the performance. But then at the end, he falls out of his chair that he's in, wakes up, and then just gives the most unhinged applause. Ever. And it's, it's just, I mean, I think his entrance is jarring in a way that's like, wake up, small town, like, there's a, there's a new weirdo here, and, and I'm kind of here for it. Yeah, I, I think there's, part of it is my modern brain, like, I love old movies and how slow they can be, but this just felt like a setup I've seen in other movies and it moved faster, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, yeah. Um, like I don't think it's an el- I don't think it's the most elegant of setups. I'm with you there, uh, but I didn't find I didn't find the time to the time until Nicholson too long. There are times like I think the third act has a lot going on in a way that they could have made quicker. Specific- yeah, and- specifically yeah, but- like the cherry scene. Yeah, and I think there's also there's certain side characters that they bring up, like the principal, really early mm-hmm. on, and like they're setting up that he's just a jerk, right? Like that's what they're going for. But right. why do we spend so much time on someone who literally doesn't matter and maybe comes up two more times after that? Yeah, you see him on screen two more times, and then he's he's a footnote. It, he, he's never uh, and I just want to say that 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 man Walter Neff that's the character's name looks like Councilman Dexhart from Parks and Rec with a beard yeah, I, yeah. that's what he looks like and the minute like I, I didn't the minute you see him walk on screen I'm like oh this guy's a fucking asshole <laughs> and, and he doesn't he doesn't take too long to deliver on that thought so and then you find out that he's been an asshole all over town. The The movie shines the most, and it is the strongest just between the three 
women though like the way they summon daryl when they're just talking about him behind his back when they decide that they're gonna kill him yeah um like it's all just fun and charming and they are all just kind of electric in their own ways Mm -hmm. and you worry when you get three powerful voices in one room that they're gonna clash but all of them seemed like they were having a good time just being (laughs) pals together yeah I think it's a testament to all three women as actresses at different stages in their career. Like Cher and Cher may be, you know, uh, a big name from like music and TV, but like, I don't think anybody expected her to be as good of actress as she, or actor as she is. And Pfeiffer was still relatively young in her career where Sarandon you know, she's been doing it for a while, so we know that. And she's been doing very different roles as well. So we know that she can get into a script and probably be whatever is required. Um, but the, the scenes with her and the and the other two women, it, it's, it's very, not to pun, but like it's very beautiful music being made rather than someone trying to take the lead. What, um... What do you think is the the most special effects in this movie? What like do you, most I'm, CGI in this movie? Oh, the tennis match, hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm looking at some of these interesting facts, and I like that the tennis match is the most CGI, just because they not just because the tennis ball moved around so much, mm-hmm. but also because they were bad at tennis, <laughs> <laughs> and so they had to make it look like they were good at it. Oh, that rules. The, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just the minute you see Susan Sarandon do her first on-screen serve, you're like, "Oh, this is gonna be bad." <laughs> yeah, supposedly, like, they, yeah, they were like, uh, ILM was only supposed to be hired to move the tennis ball when it was doing it's all of its crazy magic, but since they were so bad, uh, the workload doubled. <laughs> that tennis match is not good. Um, also, I guess that the animatronic that they used for the cherry pit scene. Um, was so realistic in test screenings, uh, they had to change it because it looked too horrifying. And it looked pretty upsetting from what they used. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it got, it, yeah. This movie, this, like, this movie did some things, but it, for some reason it felt like Hollywood doing poorly executed horror. In a lot of ways, and, and, and it's, and I know that sounds way more pejorative than I want it to be, because ultimately, like, I did come away going, hmm, that wasn't bad. But yeah, this, the, yeah, some of the, some of the stuff, it kind of makes me, it, this, this, watching this movie makes me want to watch 3,000 Years of Longing, because I can see all of that wildness just turned up to 11 in that trailer. It also appears that Cher was a studio uh, hire that uh, George Miller was forced to have, and he didn't seem happy about it. But, she, I mean, again, she's, like, she's maybe the coolest one of the three for me. Like, I think she's my favorite out of the three in this movie. She plays everything so cool and collected. Like, that's her character. And she, she her character's supposed to be, like, the bad one out of the three and she plays that so well mm-hmm. yeah she's the i mean i think her i think she's the i mean this is probably a screen play thing I'm not really gonna downplay i'm not really gonna argue that but 
her performing that scene with Jack Nicholson where he's like saying, "Hey, want to fuck?" and she and she just sort of does this brilliant paragraph of reasons why she absolutely will not. Uh, yeah, it, it, she delivers that flawlessly, and and I think I I think I actually just applauded in my head when I heard it for the first when I watched it for the first time. Because I did start watching the movie again right before, just to just because we I had time, but uh, I did not get all the way through it. Uh, that's um, I think. While I think Cher's character, uh, Alex, is the one I like the most, I actually think Susan Sarandon's performance is better. Um, yes, yeah, I mean Susan Sarandon out of. Uh, the three leads is probably the strongest actress. Mm-hmm. I, I love Michelle Pfeiffer, but I do think Susan Sarandon is probably like just like half uh, half a point stronger in that field of acting. Um, I think that also goes to part that Susan Sarandon, I think it's had more hits after this than I think maybe Michelle Pfeiffer did. Sure. Um, but that could be just agents. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that's, that's not really. That's, yeah, that's fault. yeah. I think I think I think Michelle Pfeiffer is is a very good actor. Um, but I think at this point, it's at this point in Susan Sarandon's and Michelle Pfeiffer's career, it's just experience. But I think the scene where Nicholson courts Sarandon's character might be my favorite because of all of the double entendres that happen. Um, and I, I found, I found myself really kind of enthralled by that. It was just like watching all of this and going, huh, this is what they're saying with all of this, because like you see Jack Nicholson start to, well, Jack Nicholson's character, Daryl is not, is not a good dude at all. There's, there's, there's very little good about him. Yeah. Um uh you know, he's snake in the grass, bad actor from moment one. Um but I like when he's like on his knees in front of her, he parts her legs and she appropriately is like, Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? He's like, Trust me, and he puts her cello there. I feel like that's an interesting little take. And then this when he starts getting her to relax and play a whole lot of visual messaging going on and ringing clear in my head. And, uh, and then the climax at the end where Susan Sarandon, Jimi Hendrix is the hell out of that cello. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that scene a lot. I think it, I think it's really well done. Yeah. This movie is just like smartly crafted. And I think all of my issues are not with the actors or not with the direction. It's always, it's with the script, which makes sense because this is a scriptwriter, at least from what we've seen, who didn't go and make anything as big as this ever again. Yeah. Um, and like that also begs the question: is how much did Updike's original novel kind of hold that script up? Yeah, because I've... from what I understand, not much was changed except for it was a bit lighter in tone, and some of the characters' looks changed. Yeah, I, I think I I also saw references to um, the idea of them being witches being more forward facing in the book than it is in the film, because 
they're never they're never they never really proclaim themselves to be witches at it yeah they just know that when they're in the room with daryl some shit is going yeah it's really interesting to watch them discover that they have this power and he is not the reason they have this power he's just kind of um amplifying it yeah and he's and he's kind of thriving off of that yeah he's awakening it as it were. uh <clears throat> i think my favorite part of Nicholson's performance. I one, he's really charming in this, even though, as we said, like there's not much redeemable about him in the movie. Like when he's with them, he actually seems like a pretty sweet guy, at least early on. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's very, it's very rare that you can call Jack Nicholson sweet because he plays a lot of scumbags. Um, even like Chinatown, like he's not, he's not the best character. Oh no. Um, but the, the, the final act where they are torturing him and he is like uh, girls can you can you stop doing that can you stop torturing <laughs> me? it's so sincere and like he knows he's in trouble uh but he's all at the same time like trying to hold back his anger so he doesn't get in more trouble yeah um i like the scene where he's in the church uh and he's just a mess <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that scene's great um the the scene in the uh, the ice cream parlor is pretty good too. Yeah. Um. Also, shout out to Fidel. Carl Stroiken or Strauken. Uh, he was. Um, Lurch oh yeah, he's in the uh, Adams family mo- in the Adams family movies. He's the giant Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in Star Trek Next Generation because I'm watching that, and, and he's one of the. Uh, he's Mr. Holm. He shows up a few times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great character actor. Yes. Um, but yeah. Uh, o- overall, I think we could probably start winding down. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think this is gonna be a long movie. Uh, a long, long, long movie. No, the movie's long. I think the movie. The, yeah. Short. It, it's, it's besides the performances. There's not much going on in the story. Yeah, I think this is more about this is more about what happens on screen than what's than than what anybody's saying. This um, is one of those movies that's as we like we said it's it's both it's a good movie and I think it's interesting to watch. Um but it ends up being one of those movies that is interesting but for the most part is kind of boring when you take away like mentally take away the interesting stuff the movie is dull. Um Yeah. And that's what we kind of do is we try to pull out all the cool, interesting stuff. And we've already done it. We've already pulled all the cool, interesting yeah. stuff out. Every, every, um, everything, everything is out. Um, yeah, that that's really it. Um, I like the ending too, where the kid, the boys are like, on, they, they have the little baby boys. So this is, this is actually interesting is he's trying to have kids with all three of them. And he eventually does, but mm-hmm. he dies before they, they give birth. And so the ending is them with their, their baby boys and they're all on their little like baby, uh, I don't know, jumpers. I mean, they're, 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 I, I guess they're, they're I, I, I'm going to, so because I'm having a child, I'm going to eventually learn what these are called. Uh, but I don't, but it's, I, they're basically like little things for them to walk around in. Yeah. So and baby and they all, walkers, they I guess into, they wheel into this room. They, re- they wheel into this room with a wall of TVs, <laughs> which looks like it's just playing old footage of Jack Nicholson that he recorded. Cause he, yeah. during the movie, he's recording a bunch of footage. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not. You realize it's actually him, and he goes, "Okay, boys, make sure no one's around. We got a lot of scheming to do." And I think that's just a really funny scene. Yeah, it's uh, 
part part of the, part of the charm of this movie is you do spend a lot of time after a scene going, "What are we doing here?" Yeah, that, like uh, I think after um, the funeral scene, I'm like, "What what is the point of this movie again?" And I had to like read like the synopsis, and I'm like, I, like as I'm watching it, I'm like, "Oh, so the point of this movie is they just find out they're witches." That's all this movie's really yep. about. And and then they killed Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. So. I think those are our final thoughts. Matthew, what have you been watching lately? I have been watching a lot of Ooh, that's anime. Exciting. I've been, I've been watching. Well, so I've watched a lot of episodes of anime in the past couple I'm, weeks. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my magic mind thing and say you've okay. been watching a lot of Gundam. No. Huh? Well, I hadn't, I, it's not that I haven't been watching Gundam. I don't consider five episodes of Double Zeta to be a lot. Uh, I assume you're watching the new one. I did watch the new one, but like, um, I thought I talked about that last time. If I didn't, well, you watched. I, the, you talked about watching the pilot. I thought that was. Oh, okay. So the, the, only the first episode is out for the new one. I I, I re-upped my I re-upped Crunchyroll specifically because that's who I am. Um. Oh, pardon me. But uh, I did see that Crunchyroll also has a sub of Double Zeta. And I'm like, I'd like to take Double Zeta on the go. Uh, so I've started watching that, and I, I'm, I'm actually going to listen to that arc of The Great Gundam Project because I did not follow along with them when I watched it the first time. It's fair. Um, I also started Trigun, which I've only watched the first three episodes of that, Trigun's fucking cool. Trigun uh, is dope. Like, um, a good podcast to listen to about Trigun is the After School Anime Club. They did, um, I think they did three episodes on Trigun, and I think they're starting back up their season two with more Trigun episodes. Okay. I would like another anime podcast to listen to. It's a good one. Um, all old anime. They did, they did some Gundam Wing episodes. Ooh, okay. Um, but yeah, Trigun starts off, like, I was sitting here thinking, I go, okay, what kind of outlandish anime western is this going to actually be? Because I'd, I'd never seen Trigun before. Trigun's OP goes super hard, and then everything, it kind of turned whatever I expected on its head immediately in a way that I was uh, entranced by. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to uh, getting more of that and finishing it, because I know it's only one season. Yeah, and then you got a you got a new version of it coming out soon. Oh, they're doing another. They're redoing it. E, I th- I don't. I think so. I think it's uh, a re- I think it's a full re- remake. Okay. Oh, I'll I'll I'll, I'll, may, I'll see how it goes, and then maybe I'll look into that. Uh, but I. So I mentioned Double Zeta. Mentioned New Gundam. Um, oh, I did find a way to watch Super Dimension Fortress Macross. Macross. And I started that. Um, and I th- the only reason I want to watch that is because I've I've seen Ma- I've seen the original Macross, like SDF Macross, before it, when it was on Amazon. I was able to watch it, and I enjoyed it. Um, but I'd never seen any of the others, so I'm re watching that to sort of put context to the others, and then I'll get to like. Delta, like Macross Plus, Delta, Southern Cross, all of that, because I kind of want to see, I kind of want to see all of what happened in Japan 
before it came to the U.S. as Robotech. Uh, because it, Robotech was probably the first anime I remember watching. It's the first time I ever saw a transforming thing that I was super into. Uh, because Transformers never really did it for me. Like, I thought they were cool and robots changing into cars, nice. Um, but when I saw Robotech, I was like, oh, now that is something I can get behind. So yeah, watched uh, I think the first 15 episodes of SDF Macross and I, I really like it. I think I think I see a lot of uh, I see a lot of the conversation that it would have in the that it would hold in the mecha animated discourse, which is fine. Um, I just wish more of that was available here. Because uh, the agreements between Harmony Gold and Big West or, or Tatsunoko or however it goes, uh, it's, it's stuff I've tried to understand and still don't. Um, hopefully the solving of it that happened last year will actually bear fruit sooner than later in America, but who knows. Uh, and then the last thing, uh, I'd never, uh, a co-host on Story Route Zero, um, Michaela, mentioned to me a long time ago the show Violet Evergarden. And, oh yeah, okay, yeah. And I watched the first episode of that, and I think I'm going to get some stuff off my plate before I go back, because that looks like a show. It, it is a show. Like a show that I would like. Yeah, I, th- I think you, I think there's um there's a uh, sadness and melancholy to it that is your kind of uh, your kind of deal. Yes, I I am that sad anime man. <laughs> uh, Jesse, what have you yes. been watching? Um, I have. So I'm I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna get hard cut off. I'm not gonna talk about anything that came out or anything I watched before. October, because I'm okay. doing my Halloween thing again, where I try to watch one thing a day. Um, we'll see how far I go. First off, The Raven, 1935. Wow. Boris Karloff, uh, Bela Lugosi. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I think Karloff is great. Lugosi's pretty scary. Yep. Everything else in that movie is just all right. It's an hour and 11 minutes. It's not very long. Give it a go. Easy breezy. Um, rewatched Over the Garden Wall. Great cartoon. Uh, it's an hour and a half all together. It's like a mini movie. Just watch it. It's on HBO Max. I don't think I've ever seen that. You will cry, Matthew. Challenge um, accepted. Let, let me tell you. Let me tell you the voice actors in it too. That, that might that might sell you too. Okay. Elijah Wood is in it. Um, for some reason, Letterbox is only showing me Elijah Wood. Because <laughs> I know there's a lot more famous actors in it. Um, yeah, Elijah Wood. Uh, Melina Lekinsky. I don't know if you know who that is. Of me trying to pronounce her name. Christopher Lloyd, Fred Stoller. Um, there's other people I know who are in this. Uh, Chris Isaac. Or Isaac. Oh jeez. Uh, John Cleese, Tim Curry. Um, oh wow. Shirley Jones. Thomas Lennon. Uh, Lennon. Uh, I think that I think those are all the big names. Yeah, no, it's it's a great voice acting guest. Wow. Um, 
films. Yeah, I recommend that. Okay. Um, I also watched Layer of the White Worm. Uh, movie came out in 1988, directed by uh, a director we've covered on the show before. I don't think this movie would be good to cover on the show, but directed by Ken Russell. Mm-hmm. Starring Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. When they are at their like hottest, like 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 the youngest I've ever seen them in a movie. <laughs> um, it's the movie is about Peter Capaldi finds the, a, a giant skull of a snake. It goes, "This is a great discovery." Turns out there's one of these the snake gods' disciples living around them, and she's biting people. <laughs> nice. Um, and it becomes a whole thing where they, these two go and discover like her conspiracy. And she's like a snake lady, and she's trying to kill Christians <laughs> um, in this small, like, Scottish town. And the final... Wait, why are final, we not doing this for the show? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, like, great, but, okay. like, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. All right. Um, I, it's on Criterion in their 80s collection for horror, uh, okay. which I'm watching a lot of. Um, like, I, I, can't, I can't describe the final act because it's just so much, but I recommend you watching it just for those last... Uh, twenty minutes. It's only like an hour and a half yeah, movie. It's, it's it looks long. like it looks like ninety three minutes. Yeah, I could do ninety three minutes. Yeah, it's it's just bonkers, um, and pretty hot. It's weird. Um, <laughs> then I Wait watched a the monsters. It's a Ken Russell movie. <laughs> True. Yeah, it's Ken Russell. I watched the monsters. Rob Zombie movie came out literally like a couple weeks ago. Um, okay. On on Netflix. Uh, it's the monsters. If you like the TV show, you'll probably like the movie. Okay. And he's not trying to be anything other than the monsters. Um, it's cheesy. It was made for seven million dollars. No, I think no, I think like five million dollars. Ridiculously low budget, but in like all the great ways. Is this hour, is this live action or animated? Live action okay. in color. All right. It's a prequel to the show. Oh, nice. So it's a, it's about uh, Herman and Lily getting married. Okay. Um, it's just it's just fun. Um, I think this comment of someone who didn't like it is very apt, but I think that's what makes it fun is it's porn parody without the sex. Gorgeous. Um, I watched Near Dark. Okay. Uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow in 1987. I think it's her second film. Uh, starring Adrian Pastar, Jenny Wright, Lance Her- Herrickson, Bill Paxton, Jeanette Goldstein. Mm-hmm. Um, all it did is just make me really miss Bill Paxton. <laughs> Music by Tangerine Dream, yeah. Uh, I think you know, I think I think it's a fun. I think it's an interesting vampire movie. It doesn't do a whole lot, but I. But again, Bill Paxton's really great in it. Like he's a little on the poster, and he's in it probably the least amount out of a lot of these characters. But that's how iconic it is. Is he's on the poster? Yeah, he is the poster. <laughs> well, and I also think that he's probably the biggest one at the, at this point. Uh, well, it's Her- Erickson's been in like Aliens and. Bunch of other stuff oh, I always point. forget who Lance Hendrickson is. My bad. Yeah, he was in Terminator, Aliens. Yeah, never mind. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Out. Yeah, okay. Network. Yeah, I'm wrong. Um, hard Target. Um, and then new movie I've seen, um, which is Don't Worry, Darling, which came out in theaters. This Big is the this is the Olivia Wilde Olivia Wilde movie that has a really. There's, a, there's probably a lot of things to be written about the press of this movie and how the press for this movie is being covered differently than the press for other movies by male directors. Um, I'm not the person to talk about that. 
All okay. I want to say is this was my this is my jam. <laughs> this okay. Was, I was into this. Okay. Um, and again, I know it's very mixed. People say the twist was too obvious. People say the twist didn't make sense. For me, the twist just wasn't enough. Like I wanted more from the twist. Like I wanted to I wanted to explain more. I wanted to over explain a little bit more than it did. Okay. Um, but dude, like the sound design of this movie is fantastic. Um, everybody is giving like great performances. People are like Harry Styles is bad. Uh, American actor. Yeah, it's because he's not American. People just took a clip and said, oh, he's trying to be American. No, he's a British man in this movie. He's yeah. supposed to be British. Um, no, it's, it's great. I think it's shot beautifully. The script is the weakest part, but it it being its weakest part is still stronger than a lot of movies that are weak everywhere else. Um, yeah, no, I just had a lot of fun. I, I, like, I'm tempted to go see it again this weekend because I just had so much fun with it. That's streaming or no? No, it's still only theaters. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think it's a blast. I, I think it's a good Twilight Zone. I, I'm a sucker for anything that's like semi-Twilight Zone. Like that's why I love all of Jordan Peele in his movies because they're just really good Twilight Zone. Yeah, movies. they're really great Twilight Zone episodes. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically what I've watched. Um, before we before we get to what we're doing next, um, I did yeah. I did forget that Reba and I started watching the most recent season of The Great British Bake Off. Uh, did and you get to the 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 Mexico week? No, we haven't gotten okay. there yet. But <laughs> okay, um, that's all I've seen from this season. Yeah, I've heard I've heard about it, and I told Reba about it, and she's just like, "Wait, what?" I'm like, "Yeah." It's like that'll 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 be interesting. Uh, we love. The Great British Bake Off, to the point where I think we start we're we're starting we're starting to watch it like sports fans watch whatever sport they choose. Um, like we start we start just trash talking the screen. Like, look at this try hard star baker motherfucker. <laughs> like, um, but I, we still genuinely just just love love that show. The, the show's great. It's as far as reality shows go, like, um, of the, of the few S tier ones that, that I can even think of like this and probably, um, RuPaul's drag race are my favorites. Great bridge bake off's great. Yeah. I, I, it's a good way to unwind. Mm-hmm. Um, so Matthew, what, what, what are we doing next? So we are, we are, we are cross pollinating this, with trivial merit um our friend caroline is going to join us and uh i said this a bit ago on a trivial merit episode um in true fashion we are doing a i I say this as a complete joke but we are doing a not movie yeah that's kind (laughs) of what we're doing and um but we are doing uh we are doing a video game. It is called Immortality. It is from uh, the studio ran by Sam Barlow. No, I think he's known for her story and telling lies. And uh, I, I know Jesse's been playing it. I have not started it yet. I plan on starting it hopefully tomorrow uh, because I am off and uh, I'm excited. And the reason the reason we're doing this not only is because Caroline's fantastic and Caroline just really w- wants to talk about this. Yes. Um, it's because this m- game is about the process of making movies and um, 
the effects of the movie industry and also it's freaky it's like a lynchian thing kind of going on so yeah see now none of that i actually knew um, oh that's that's the, well spoilers no that's okay that that's okay i'm not like i when i saw you two talking about about it and i'm and i was just i was also working at the time so it's not like i could just get involved in that conversation while i'm trying to x-ray patients uh but i saw that and i'm like you know what i completely trust both of these two and uh i'm always down for trying something new so yeah i'm excited to start it i'm excited to talk to caroline about it if you don't if you don't know caroline follow her on twitter at editoriate and, and Matthew, where can they follow you and uh, your other shows? I was going to say, also read her work on Popular Mechanics and uh, at Unwinnable, because uh, her writing is wonderful. For for hopefully still some fun, uh, you can follow me at Infinite underscore Rewind. Uh, I also am fortunate to co-host a couple other podcasts with friends. Uh, the aforementioned Trivial Merit with Caroline. Also, uh, I'm a part of the Bald Gun Guy podcast, which is a replay of the modern Hitman trilogy. We have finished Hitman 2, and we are about to start its DLC. Uh, I believe we record the New York, New York episode soon, next couple weeks. And then Haven Island will be after that, and then we will head straight into Hitman 3. Uh Hitman is a, is a franchise near and dear to my heart, and I love talking about it. It makes me giggle, it makes me happy, and I love it. Jesse. Yes. Talk to me. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me everywhere at Sleeper of the Bay. You can find my other show, uh, Y Comics, at Y Comics Pod. We're in the middle of season two. Episode two will probably come out the same week this episode comes out. Yeah. Um, and I have other stuff I'm working on. Yeah. You can find this show everywhere at Free Reeling It. Um, you can email us at freereelingit at gmail.com. Uh, basically, send us wherever you want about movies on either of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, Matthew, who did our theme song? My buddy Jason. You can find his work on Spotify or Bandcamp. He goes by the name Deadeye, D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. His new album, uh bloodshed kingdom is out and available for purchase i highly suggest you check it out and support him uh not just because he's a friend of mine but because i think his work is really good um he was also part of a reggae duo uh that released one of the finest instrumental reggae albums i've ever heard it is called black lightning the, that band is called the hope street steppers uh, i believe it is still on Bandcamp and on spotify find all support jason he's wonderful you can follow him on instagram where he posts snippets of all his work uh at deadeye productions all one word all lowercase yeah jason's cool remember everybody um it's a bad idea to try to date three women at the same time and then let them know about it it's just, it's, just, it's bad. You're gonna get a voodoo doll, and they're gonna stab you. Like that's just that's, that's what's gonna happen. I mean, especially when you're trying to do it in front of them. Yeah, it's bad times, guys. It's yeah, bad times. consent's a weird thing in that movie. <laughs> it is a weird. Is, okay, <laughs> we don't have to get. We don't need to get, We're not going back. No. <laughs>